with heights to the depths of the sea. And he went and he sent you to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And, and notice what Jehoshaphat says. He says, I will go up. I am as you are, and my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Does that ring a bell with you from what we've read in the last couple of weeks? All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. In our study today, King Jehoram sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, to assist him in a battle with the Moabites. Jehoshaphat was a godly king who followed in the godly footsteps of his father Asa. Yet Asa fought against Israel, while Jehoshaphat made peace with the northern kingdom. Though greater Israel was long since separated by a civil war, the two nations were now willing to come together to fight this common foe. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Joram, Joram, Jehoram, they're basically the same person but their, their spelling can be a little different depending on where you look at. But in the northern tribes, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right about the same time, there were two men named Jehoram, and there were also two men named Ahaziah, and they were all within a very short, they overlap quite a bit. And so as we go through this, pay special attention to which Jehoshaphat or which um, Ahaziah were referring to and which Jehoram were referring to because that will help you get, um, otherwise you will get confused, as I did. And it's very easy to do that. So, so Ahab, we know, reigned for 21 years, and then Ahaziah, his son, uh, Ahab being the king of the northern ten tribes, and then Ahaziah ruled for only one year. And then when he died uh, as, uh, by an accident, unexpectedly, uh, his brother, Jehoram, reigned immediately after him, and for about 11 or 12 years. But let's go to verse 2. Notice that this Jehoram, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. And nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. Now notice in verse 2 and 3, and I love how personal and how honest the Spirit of God is. He doesn't give us a a stellar review of Jehoram, but he's honest about the things that he really did wrong, and he's honest about the things that he was doing right. It didn't really change him too much. I mean, he still died a, a pagan and didn't go to heaven, I'm sure. But God is honest. He says, you know what? He... He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but he wasn't so wicked. He wasn't as wicked as his father and mother. But here's the deal. 
How wicked is wicked? How, how wicked is wicked enough? Do, do only the really wicked people go to hell? Or is it just the, the really bad wicked? Or what about the people that aren't as wicked as those wicked people? Maybe there's some kind of, you know, do they, is, can God give me a, a break? No, he doesn't give you a break. There's a whole bunch of people on this spectrum that are evil, really evil, really evil, atomic evil, nuclear evil, completely evil to the core. All of them go to hell. They don't go to heaven. So why flirt like this guy did, Jehoram? He certainly saw his dad and the things that he did wrong. He witnessed firsthand God's judgment upon him, and yet he didn't change at all. I don't know about you, but when I see God working, and especially in derogatory ways against a behavior of some person, I tend to like to listen. I like to watch and say, I don't want to do that. Whatever he did, I want to do the exact opposite. But there's something in this old nature of ours. If we're not born again, we only have this old dead spirit that's at enmity with God. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. You need the spirit of God in you to take that old nature and suppress it and keep it down like the old thing, old ugly thing that it is. And only the spirit of God can do that. And you, Christians, we have the ability, and this is the thing that scares me, is we have the ability, even as spirit-filled, born-again people, to allow these things to creep up. We allow them, we can allow it to come through the cracks because of carelessness, because of a lack of prayer, because of lack of faith, because of a lack of feeding ourselves spiritually, a, a result of, not, of just being careless. We can allow these things to grow up like weeds, and they, their desire is to choke you out. Their desire is to be, is to, you may be saved and you may be bound for heaven, but the devil, he doesn't care about whether you're going to heaven or not. He wants to ruin you. He wants to, he wants to maim you so much that all of a sudden any witness that you might have had has been snuffed out. Yes, you're going to heaven, but you've got no witness. Nobody around you cares to listen to you anymore because you've been saying, do this, do this, do this, follow the Lord, follow the Lord, and all this, and yet you're not following the Lord. Well, why aren't you following the Lord? Why are you getting to the edge? Why are you playing the Russian roulette? And see, this man Jehoram had the opportunity to learn, but he did not. And learning is a really good thing. I love to learn. And I learn, I, I think, I'm learning to learn quicker from my mistakes. And I pray that you do too. You know, there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. There's nothing wrong with the, I mean, when you make a mistake or even when you fall into sin, it's all, you don't just have to throw in the towel. God's not done with you. No, you confess it as sin and get back on the horse again and continue riding. And if you do something wrong, learn from it so that you don't make that same mistake again. And if you do make the same mistake again, do you throw in the towel? If you make the same mistake again, do you throw in the towel? If you make the same mistake again, do you find your solace in drugs or booze or you know a needle in your arm or multiple partners? What is it that you do? You know, you don't do that. You confess it and you get back on the horse and you keep riding with the Lord. What do you do? Joram Jehoram had that possibility. He had that opportunity, but he didn't take it. His own will said no. And the human will is like a nasty rascal. 
and it needs to be broken. My will needed and needs to still be broken. It needs to be fashioned. It needs to be submitted. It needs to be crucified. Yes, crucified. The world doesn't like talking about that. But let me tell you something. Your old nature needs to be killed. That's why Paul said, put it to death. Put those old members to death. No longer flirt with them anymore. They are going to drag you down like a person who is swimming and someone from underneath you grabs your leg and pulls you under. That's exactly what sin will do to you. And it will never stop hunting you. It will never stop hunting you. And you have a decision to make. I need to get in the game. I need to get my eyes focused on Christ. I need to get my heart in prayer. I need to be serious about this walk. Because even if nobody else around you is being serious, Christian, you have to be the one to set the example. Blaze that trail. Don't settle for compromise in your life anymore. You can't afford it. And one day, if you allow continued compromise in your life, it's going to kill you. And we've seen it happen, even in the church. Somebody who's got a heroin problem or a drug problem. Oh, I know I'm born again. And they may be. They may just be struggling with this addiction. And God will allow you to be taken out. And you may go to heaven. (laughs) But you've discouraged a lot of saints around you. And you've shortened your life. If you really love Jesus, doesn't he deserve the glory? Doesn't he deserve the praise? Doesn't he deserve for what he has saved me from in eternity in hell? And, and then he saves me and he gives me this, this um, uh, confidence of heaven, knowing that I'm going to go to heaven. If that is true, then doesn't he, and that's for eternity, folks, it never ends. So doesn't he deserve Right now, from this day forward, all that I have, my whole heart, my whole mind, everything that I have, he deserves it. And God help me if I don't surrender to that. Because if I don't, I don't really understand what this is all about. Do you follow me? You need to get into the game. We can't play church anymore, church. I'm not saying that you do, but I know that this message goes way beyond the four walls of this building. And there are people that are going to be in a car hearing this message somewhere down the road here. And they need to hear that because they're flirting with things they ought not to be flirting with. And it's going to kill them. They need to repent. Jehoram, there was no repentance. And yet the Spirit of God is so honest. Nevertheless, he persisted. Nevertheless, even though he put away the sacred pillar, which is a uh, a pillar, it was an idol. I believe it was a phallic symbol that they would use for the goddess Asherah, who was a the goddess of, of fertility. And this this obelisk, this thing, you know, at least he had the wherewithal to say, you know what, that's really bad. And God says, yeah, that's, bad. that's pretty bad. And there's also a lot of other things. But Jehoram says, well, I'll just take that away. God says, good start, Jehoram. You do that. But take a close look at all this other stuff, too. I don't want to hear that. I'll take away the really hideous thing. I never liked it anyway. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, his great-great-great-great-grandfather who made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. And then now in verse 4 it says, Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. So Moab is this area, if you were to look at a map of Israel, it would be Moab would be uh, to the southeast of the Dead Sea 
We know that there is the Sea of Galilee, then there's the Jordan River, and then there's this Dead Sea. Well, on the southeast part of that is where Moab was located. And remember, Moab is the place where David's great-grandmother lived, or came from. What was her name? Ruth. Yes, the Ruth, the Moabitess, the Gentile. Yes, who was also in the line of Jesus Christ. In the physical line of Jesus Christ. Yes, a Gentile woman. Think about that. Pretty interesting. Is God a God of grace? Or is he just so stuck on rigid rules? You do this. If you don't do this, I'm just going to smack you around and crush you like a bug. Is that God? The religious world, you know, the they can get like that. But God is not like that. When people get legalistic like that, where it's just rules, 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 and they get so legalistic and don't fall out of that line, I'm going to smack you. You hear people like that, and you see things like that, and they're just frustrated because they don't understand grace. Holiness to them is a list of do's and don'ts, and if you cross and you you do the don'ts, then you're going to get smacked around a little bit. Hey, listen, God knows your frame. He knows that you are dust. He knows that I am dust. He knows that there's nothing good within me. The only redeemable thing in me is when his spirit has indwelt me. And then he's like, I want to redeem that. Of course, he wants to redeem every person who is rejecting him. That's true. He loves everyone. But God wants more of you. He wants to, he wants to be in the very innermost part of you. He wants to be the thing that governs your thoughts and your minds, and especially, well, your actions as well. So Misha, this king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. And so uh, Misha paid annual tribute to, uh, to Ahab, the king of, uh, of Israel, and so now we find that now that his son has taken his, uh, his place, that Misha's going, well, now that Ahab is dead, I'm not going to follow his son. I'm, just gonna, I'm, I'm not going to obey this anymore. It was a hardship already on us, but because he's so powerful, I did it. But now that his son's in power, eh, I'm just going to go away, boy, you bother me. <laughs> but it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel so King Jehoram went out of Samaria, which was the, uh, the capital of the northern ten tribes at that time, and he mustered all of Israel, all those ten tribes, he mustered everyone, and he went and he sent you to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me, will you go with me to fight against Moab? And, and notice what Jehoshaphat says, he says, I will go up. I am as you are, and my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Does that ring a bell with you from what we've read in the last couple of weeks concerning Jehoshaphat, king of Judah? It's curious because Jehoshaphat allied himself with Jehoram's father, who was King Ahab. And it tells us in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, it tells us, that, uh, well, let me just read it to you, First Kings chapter 22. This is the second time, at least. Actually, this is the third time now that Jehoshaphat has intertwined himself, gotten involved with this ungodly alliance with the northern ten tribes. 
They were ungodly because they never ceased from their idolatry. Remember, Jeroboam was the first one. Right after Solomon died, Jeroboam took the northern ten tribes, and his son Rehoboam took the southern two tribes. But the northern ten tribes, they built two centers of idolatrous worship, one in Bethel and the other one in Dan. They set up golden images of calves. And you can visit these places if you go to Israel in March or in February. You can see where these places happened, where this, this happened. You can see it. I've seen it. And so, what does it tell us? It says that, now three years had passed, this is 1 Kings 22, this was the first time that um, Jehoshaphat had with Ahab, three years passed without war between Syria and Israel, and then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel, notice this, and the king of Israel, who was Ahab at the time, said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, which is this, this city on the eastern side of the Jordan River? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And so he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king, and I verbatim, he says the exact same thing that now he's telling to his son. He says, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And yet God rebuked him through Hanani the seer. In Second Chronicles chapter 19, remember what God says to Jehoshaphat. You would think he would have learned from this instance alone with Ahab. Jehoshaphat, it says in Second Chronicles 19, verses 1 through 3, it says, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Yehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, and this is after this battle that uh, Jehoshaphat went with um, Ahab to go and fight with him. And Yehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to Jehoshaphat, I just said that, didn't I? I just repeated it. And this is what he said. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Jehoshaphat, should you... Help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you and that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So there was something good that happened here. There was some some good thing in him. And this endeavor with the king of Ahab, it almost cost him his life. And he also tried allying himself to Ahab's son, Ahaziah. Remember, he only lived for one year. But in Second Chronicles, it tells us that he tried to ally himself with him. And then another prophet comes to him and says, don't get involved with this man. Stay away from him. And then, the, the, and, and then finally, we see him here. You know, now with Ahab, or, um, excuse me, Jehoram, he's doing the same thing. It's like you would think that he would have learned a lesson already. But why would Jehoshaphat go back and do the same with Ahab's other son, Jehoram? I mean, I I thought about this, and I'm like, well, maybe Jehoshaphat was a peacemaker. He's trying to make peace and have some kind of good feeling between the king of the north and with him as well, when he should have remained separate from the northern kings of Israel, or the northern tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom. And it is somewhat understandable in the natural for Jehoshaphat to do this. I'm sure he didn't want to have enemies with the north and have to go battle, uh, to go at, uh, to battle against them at some point, brother against brother, tribe against tribe. 
I'm sure he wanted to avoid all that, which is all fine and good. But I believe God would rather have had Jehoshaphat remain unentangled with the kings of the north because he would have had a better uh, relationship with, with the Lord and he would have kept his people out of danger. And God would have sustained him, come what may. It's always important to obey God regardless of how things look on the outside. Because obeying the Lord is always harder than caving in and doing the thing that everybody else does. It will always be harder to follow Christ and to be obedient to God than it will to cave into sin. That is easy. That comes like breathing to us. It's so easy to do that. And yet to stay true and stay faithful to Christ is a very difficult thing. And isn't it true that it says the the old adage, it says the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We see the same thing in Ahab's son. But what does the Bible tell us? You know, what, Jehoshaphat, what are you doing? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, it says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And the obvious answer is nothing. There is, no, there is nothing that holds them together. They are complete opposites of one another. And what accord has Christ with Belial, or somebody who is a, a, a satanic character, somebody who is governed by the flesh, Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Again, we have to be uh, uh, reach out to unbelievers and stuff like that, but we are not to be like this with them. We're not to engage with them and, and enjoy the things that they engage. No, you be separate and stand on the outside and invite them to come to the true light. Invite them. Be separate from all of that nonsense and invite them out. Don't get back in the mix of it and say, well, I'm going to evangelize my friends who are all these bad guys. Hey, listen, you come out from among them and let them come to you. And if they will not come to you, then so be it. You continue to pray and be the good example. But do not go back into the the den of vipers. Do not go back into the den of vipers. Get out of the den and call them out one by one. And then it goes on in Corinthians, it says, And what part is a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Yes, all of us here tonight, we are the temple of the living God. The Spirit of God indwells us if you are a believer. And let me say this, if the Spirit of God does not indwell you, you are not a Christian. I don't care how much money you give to the church. I don't care what you do for the elderly woman across the street. I don't care that you gave up smoking and stopped swearing. I don't care about any of that, and neither does God, because he looks down and sees either his image upon you by his spirit, or he does not. And if you are not a born-again believer, you are not a Christian. I don't care what you do, how you say it, what you give, it makes no difference. That's why Jesus said to a very religious man, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You need to be born from above. You need to ask God for the Spirit of God to come in you. Otherwise, you are not a Christian. You are just a polished sinner. <laughs> That's all we are. Apart from the Spirit of God, I can clean up my act, and I can you know, stop chewing tobacco and stop dating women who do, and I can, and I can do all these things. And unless the Spirit of God is in me, all I'm going to be doing is just nothing. It's, it's worth nothing. Because God's not going to go, on, wow, you did all those things? 
Wow, you did more righteousness than Rob Kellogg. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.